0: Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking today about digital forensics, and we're talking with Rob Lee, who works both with Mandiant and with SANS Institute. Rob, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Uh, thank you for having me.
0: Hey, Rob, to start out, I know you're wearing a, a number of hats. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, please, the work that you do, and then your experience in digital forensics.
1: Uh, certainly. Um, I. Uh, I'm former Air Force. I worked both in information security, and I also work in investigations for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations for the earlier part of my career. Um, and then, like a lot of individuals, they're faced with kind of a you know, career challenge. So, I, you know, in terms of there's really isn't a career path for someone with my background. So, I ended up uh, becoming a government contractor for the better part of uh, six years, working for the intelligence community as well as uh, law enforcement communities at the same time. But during that, I also started working on the side for the SANS Institute providing digital forensics and instruction, which initially began with a single course. But uh, just recently graduated from Georgetown University getting my MBA, and now I'm working full time for uh, Mandiant, which uh, we do data breach intrusion uh, investigations in addition to uh, a wide scope of digital forensics investigation uh, offerings.
0: Rob, what do you find to be the biggest digital forensics issues that organizations are challenged by today?
1: Well, one of the things I definitely found is that uh, there are three fields within the digital forensics arena that have an interest or direct buy-in to performing digital forensics. So it depends on what your priority is. For example, you have the law enforcement intelligence communities that their goal in doing digital forensics is, you know, to no, no better term, is to suppress the uh, bad guys or suppress evil. Then, in the information security communities, the reason that we do digital forensics is usually to find out how did someone break in, how did an internal employee do something that they should not have been able to do, and how do we prevent it from happening again? And there could be some civil or criminal litigation ties, so it could slip over the wall back into the law enforcement community. You know, if that you know someone is, ends up being prosecuted. But then the third area that we find is that we also have a strong litigation support. You know, you have a lot of uh, cases that are currently going through the court system that are digital forensics related, and you know, you also have uh, the term e-discovery, in which they're doing uh, forensics to be able to recover documents and email. But you also have a lot of uh, individuals filing civil cases or criminal cases, depending on uh, who's you know uh, doing the case, that involves uh, media that has digital. Uh, artifacts on it that need to be displayed and be able to present it in the courtroom. So depending on where you're at right now, it basically, each one of those fields between litigation support, information security, and law enforcement, we tend to have a uh, you know, very, very wide array of need out there for doing digital forensics. So as a result, you know, depending on which organization you're at, It's trying to define why do you need specific digital forensics experts helping you out to be able to solve your uh, specific uh, incident case or be able to help suppress the bad guys that are out there.
0: So, Robin, your experience in both business and in government, how are organizations tackling these challenges for the better or for the worse? I've got to think it's challenging enough just to keep up on case law on these issues.
1: No, in in that you hit one of the nails right on the head. Is that it's it's so moving so fast right now that overall in the digital forensics profession, it's hard to tell. uh, Specifically, one of the challenges is how do I what is preparedness? How would an organization be prepared for an incident that would involve either civil or criminal litigation? Is your information security uh, response team? able to react to a data breach investigation or an intrusion that involves financial or payment card industry uh, losses. Um, you know, so the challenges that the organizations are having right now are trying to say, are we prepared? And what we're typically seeing right now that we're overall, if, you're, if I'm going to measure between you know, like good and bad, where organizations are rating right now, they're ty- typically on the more of the we're not prepared side. Uh, when we're entering in these uh, cases but we're seeing it get better that they're starting to hire more smartly and the way they're doing that is they're hiring individuals with you know who are professionalized that they have certifications behind their name that they have the experience out there that they've done multiple different type case type work from lit support from information security or even they have a law enforcement background so it's basically do you have the right you know staff and are you prepared to handle these issues and you could always try to be prepared but in the end until an incident happens, that's when you really know whether or not you have the right team working for you.
0: You know, I'm curious, Rob. Are organizations tending to bring in these skills in-house and develop the the competencies, or are they opting more to outsource and, and contract with people that have got these competencies?
1: Well, it's, it's very similar. You know, like what, what we're seeing right now. You know, even out in California, there are, you know people are combating these fires. You have a usually a staff on site that says okay we can handle small things small fires and be able to put them out but let's say something major happens you know what we have out in California these major fires going on you have to bring in outsiders to be able to help out you cannot support and have that much of a staff just in case something happens and so it'll always be a combination you have to have the internal people you trust to be able to help guide and lead the process but at the same time have strong ties to potential industry groups and law enforcement to be able to say hey we need help. Here's what we hope that we'd be able to get from you, and potentially even hire additional experts to come in and help support and augment, and even surge into the organization to be able to say, We have some additional five bodies we parachuted in to your experts to help us out deal with this incident. So, normally, normal fires put out by internal staff, but if it's a major issue, major investigation, massive e de- uh, discovery case, or even a data breach, then you tend to have to bring in outsiders. Including law enforcement uh, to the uh, to the mix.
0: Well, given that you likely see a lot of different fires in a lot of different private and public sector organizations, what would you say that these organizations need most as they tackle some of these digital forensics issues?
1: Um, here's it, it's a, your your question is a brilliant one when you when you really boil it down to because organizations are asking themselves the same question. Why do we need to be prepared? What, it, what is the core essence of what we're looking at here? And what would help guide us? And it comes down to they need potentially a very strong yet flexible policy regarding what types of incidents are we going to be investigating? What types of incidents would we be considered you know, that we need to really you know, uh, uh, investigate? You know, any discovery case that comes in, civil litigation, you can never predict that. But at the same time, if you're hit with one of these, in addition to having the right personnel, is how do we handle and guide that process internally, and and typically what we see is part of the lack of preparedness in a lot of these organizations. It's it's usually just like what happens during a fire, is everyone's running very very fast, but it's you know very loose guidance. You know, no one who's in charge, even inside the same organization between different business units, there's very little coordination in some cases. You know, wh- both business units could be specifically defending against these attacks but they're not even sharing the details between the different BUs so you know I think one of the biggest things that's needed in the organization if you say the number one thing is to really think through the planning and saying we will be hit with one of these major issues the major incidents that's out there so as a result of that are we specifically prepared and have we essentially tested ourselves like red team that you know gone through an exercise that will basically flex our muscles and saying yeah, we think we could probably handle this. Now you can never predict everything, but at least you'll have the right steps in motion, but also be flexible enough to uh, react to the unpredictable.
0: Well, it sounds like organizations are learning these lessons more in the line of fire than uh, than in desktop exercises.
1: True, and and it's you know, you know just like everything else, when if you're the uh, uh, CFO and you're having you don't have a million dollars to spend on technology. And moving it to the next level, you know, will you be buying iPhones for your business, which everyone wants the business, you know, iPhone now, or are you going to hire security staff and buy more tools to be able to react to incidents? You know, typically, one is fun dollars, the other is not fun dollars. So, prior to an incident occurring, you tend to err toward the, well, I think this will end up creating more sales and more revenue, whereas with security and forensic investigations you really can't calculate the return on investment. You know, the ROI is, you know, they always say, what is the ROI for us spending this money and investing this capital? You really can't. It's incalculable. And that's where it's really struggled. It's a struggle for these organizations to be able to put their finger on and say, well, that was worth it.
0: Now, just to shift gears a bit here, Rob, tell us a little bit about your work at SANS. What is the type of the training that you're offering now and for whom are you offering it?
1: Well, again, a great question. Our target where we're offering the training is, again, anyone in any of those three fields in which information security, law enforcement, intelligence community, as well as lit- litigation support. Uh, Sam's background has primarily been in the information security professional training organization. We're very robust there, and that's essentially where, you know, even I grew up in doing intrusion investigations. But where we're now moving the uh, curriculum forward is what, up until about a year ago, we only had a single course, but this year we have seven courses in total. We have two core courses, just like you would find at a normal university, like a curriculum that you'd follow the core courses. We have Computer Forensics Essentials that essentially teaches someone how to combat and investigate traditional crimes, from intellectual property theft, to fraud, to uh, uh, you know private information being stolen, that type of case. But then the second course, the follow-on course, is a computer investigation and response course, which is more centered on defeating data breach investigations. Or as people are becoming more intelligent on the technology, we're starting to see a trend for individuals are becoming more technically savvy. Like you know, for example, I would make a guess that you would know how to clear your browser history. Or we're seeing more people know how to do just a simple activity like that or be thinking about doing that. You know, wiping files, deleting their their history. That does require a step up in the game for doing the investigation. And finally, in addition, we have electives. We have mobile device forensics. We have a course that teaches an individual how to fix hard drives doing um, platter swaps. You know, If your hard drive breaks, you usually have to spend a lot of money to send it to another organization to fix. Well, we actually teach people how to do that in-house so they don't have to spend that extra revenue to do uh, the recovery of the files. We have network forensics, and finally, we also have uh, memory forensics, we actually take people through how to do memory forensics in that, you know, from collecting data from uh, the RAM of a computer system, be able to put pieces back together uh, examining that type of residue. So we have a, a, a full uh, uh, range of forensics courses that we're aiming for all three fields to basically increase their level of specificity as we're seeing the large uh, amounts of devices that now contain potential evidence on them, from mobile devices to your DVR to your next-generation computers like Windows 7 that's
0: out there. Well, it really sounds like the possibilities are endless. Uh, given what you see and what you're offering, what types of careers do you envision down the road for people that, that can develop these digital forensic skills?
1: Well, it's it's, it's interesting you uh, you asked that question because um, earlier this year, we did a poll and we asked uh, individuals in the profession, as well as outside the profession, to say what are, what are the top 20 coolest careers in the IT field. And the actual three out of the top ten were forensics related. And in fact, the number one coolest career for individuals ended up being uh, information security crime investigator. And what that career is defined as, this is the individual that's handling the data breach investigations. That is doing reversing uh, r- uh, reverse engineering of malware. That they're tracking down uh, hackers that basically could be coming from foreign nations inside organizations, both inside the government as well as inside commercial organizations where economic espionage might be uh, found. So as a result, that career, of course, would be number one because it requires the most skills, but it also looks, you know, you know, to n- no to parts, the most interesting. That you're going to be really be- being tone- towing the front line of not only the fight, but doing the investigation of defending these networks. We also have, you know, in the top ten, we have standard forensic analysts in which we have uh, law enforcement, litigation support, and information security taking part in In which this is your uh, investigator that is handling more of the traditional crimes. Uh, They're basically looking at cases that might be used in civil criminal litigation, intellectual property theft, e-discovery, disgruntled employees causing damage, inappropriate use of the Internet. That, you know, career is still, you know, it's, it's on a daily basis you're solving problems. So it's still exciting for an individual to be able to do that type of work inside an organization. And typically the organizations, because you're dealing with private information of its employees, they do not like outsourcing that because of potential liabilities or other issues that might arise. So you might see more individuals being hired internally full-time to be that uh, individual. And then, of course, we have the incident responder, who has forensic skills, but their primary uh, task is to figure out how an individual got in and how to mitigate the incident so the organization can continue running its operations on a daily basis. So not only are they trying to figure out how the individual got in, they're basically trying to stop the attack and also start the healing of the network so the uh, uh, organization can go back to uh, normal operations. So when you start looking at the industries that are involved here, you know, like we said, we have three industries primarily that require all three between information security, litigation support, and law enforcement. So you could be sitting in any of those fields from FBI to Virginia State Police to working at a major law firm and still be doing forensics. So it's a very, very broad field as a result.
0: Good possibilities. And it sounds like in a way what you're saying is security has become sexy.
1: Yes, I mean it's 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 one of the most interesting uh, because of the breadth, and because you could also say, "Hey, I'm I'm done with information security. I will go support law enforcement, or I'm going to go work for a law firm now." You could you could see a lot and do a lot, but the pers- you know the perspective would completely change depending on which side of the fence you're sitting on.
0: Well, what you've outlined for us are a lot of options and a lot of prospects for someone that wants to develop these skills. Uh, given that, and I'm sure you get asked this frequently. What single piece of advice would you offer to somebody that's seeking a career in digital forensics today?
1: The major issue for someone starting to a, a, a career in computer forensics or digital forensics today is the fact that our profession, uh, because of the legal challenges and there's a lot of courtroom inter- inter- interactivity, is our profession is currently going through a lot of you know internal and external questions. If, how do we, you know, how is an individual to be assured or how is the organization that hires an individual to be comforted that this individual actually has the skills? That if you're putting someone on the stand as an expert, that they truly do have an expertise uh, sitting behind them in both uh, the professional organization that says this individual is good, but in addition to that, we have the organizational and personal one. As a result, since we're still in our infancy, we, d- we do not have, like, you know, the hundreds of years of uh, development, such as doctors and lawyers, CPAs and others, have had to form a professional organization that stands behind us. And also, in addition, if you have someone who's ethically not doing the work correctly, or is not doing the work correctly at all, in terms of skill, you have a way to potentially bar those individuals. So, you know, long story uh, short here, what ends up happening is, since we do not have that yet, but if we're working toward it, what I highly recommend individuals do at a minimum, is become certified in one of the digital forensic certifications that is out there. It at least will show you they're taking a step forward to saying, yes, I agree that there is a profession
0: here and I need to
1: be able to demonstrate that I have proven the skills to my employer, the courtroom, or anyone else that might be asking that question. And as a result, there are many really well done digital forensic certifications out there. Doesn't matter which one you get, as long as you get certified in one of them and start helping the professional community form what essentially will become an ABA or a medical uh, AMA for our profession. But we don't have that yet. It will be several years before we get there. But because of the scrutiny we're now undergoing, we're definitely moving fast to try to get that. So if you're just beginning, become certified. It would help you and the profession.
0: Rob, that's great advice. I appreciate your time and your insight today.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you inviting me on.
0: We've been talking with Rob Lee about digital forensics. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.